Welcome to Forgotten TV, the podcast that brings you TV memories of the 70s and 80s, with a focus on short-lived TV shows, pilots, and made-for-TV movies. I'm Chris Cooling. Forgotten TV can now be heard on Amazon Echo devices. Simply enable the AnyPod skill on your device, then say, Alexa, ask AnyPod to play Forgotten TV. Ancient legends and myths tell of abandoned children reared in the wild by wolves, apes, or other beasts. Roman mythology tells of Romulus and Remus, twin boys that were cast into the wilderness and suckled by a she-wolf, who later founded ancient Rome and the Roman Kingdom. The ancient Mesopotamian epic of Gilgamesh tells of the legend of Enkidu, raised in the wild by animals and ignorant of human society, who later joins Gilgamesh on his adventures. Accounts of feral children, or wild boys, recur throughout more recent history as well such as the German Hessian wolf children of the 14th century and the Lithuanian bear boys of the 17th century. The complete accuracy of these accounts is somewhat questionable, but they have inspired enduring literary characters appearing in the late 19th and early 20th century, such as Mowgli, the Jungle Boy, and Tarzan of the Apes, characters that have appeared again and again in popular media as well. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. In 1970, the Francois Truffaut French film The Wild Child depicted one of the most well-known accounts of a feral boy to box office as well as critical worldwide success. In a publicity release for the film, Truffaut wrote, From Romulus and Remus, through Mowgli and Tarzan, men have continually been fascinated by tales of beast children. It may be that, in these stories of abandoned infants reared by wolves, bears, or apes, they see a symbol of the extraordinary destiny of our race. Or it may be simply that they harbor a secret hankering after a natural existence. The movie of the week era of television eventually made its own entry into this genre. On November 3, 1976, NBC aired Stalk the Wild Child, which aired as the first of a Wednesday night TV movie double feature, landing the Nielsen ratings top spot that week with a 20.4 share, representing 14.5 million viewers. This audience reception may have had something to do with ABC wanting to have their own Wild Boy TV movie, which brings us to the topic of this episode of Forgotten TV, ABC's Lucan. Some the outside, 
but inside there are elfin colors, like fair and barbed. It is also the last refuge in America of tiny slippers, the gray wolf. Penetrated deep into this lush wilderness, claimed to have seen a creature living there, which at first they didn't identify. It turned out to be a ten-year-old woman, a boy, deserted by his parents at an early age, who somehow survived. Expedition captured the wild boy and brought him to a university research center in California. There, ten years ago, he began his immense journey. It is the journey man himself has made from the forest to civilization, and the journey continues. The film opens as a young adult Lucan and Dr. Don Hoagland are looking at filmed documentation of Lucan, a feral boy captured in the wild 10 years ago when he was brought to a university research center. The difficult and years-long process of teaching Lucan is glossed over with black-and-white still images in a very TV movie-style opening credit sequence. Lucan has lived with Dr. Hoagland since, who has obviously become a father figure to him. This whole time, Lucan's parents and origin remain a mystery. The film cuts to the university board, discussing Lucan's case and whether he will ever be able to completely acclimate to modern society, some even questioning if he should be allowed his freedom. Later, Dr. Hoagland is hit by a car and seriously injured. From his sickbed, the doctor then encourages Lucan to leave the university campus and strike out on his own, perhaps to be able to find out the truth about his parents. Lucan stumbles upon a staged fight on a construction site and promptly breaks it up, immediately gaining the disapproval of foreman Jean. Lucan gets hired on to the construction site by boss Larry, played by Ned Beatty, and promptly demonstrates his strength, work ethic, and the fact that he has no fear of heights, qualities that don't go over well with everyone on the job site. While he is retrieving his bag, the foreman, Gene, gives the security guard the all-clear to lock up and release the Doberman guard dogs for the night. Lucan then has to defend himself against the dogs, regrettably killing one in the process.
no choice. Lucan is then arrested and jailed overnight, but is bailed out by Mickey, Jean's fiancé and boss's daughter, played by Stockard Channing. Lucan ends up spending the day with Mickey and striking up a platonic friendship with her, opening up to her about his past. This is misinterpreted by Jean, and he reveals what kind of person he is, sicking his thugs on Lucan. That night, Jean's goons chase Lucan down city streets on dirt bikes, but of course find they were in for more than they bargained for as Lucan picks them off one by one. While all this is going on, it turns out Boss Larry, as well as Foreman Jean, are crooked, big shock there, and under investigation for bribing building inspectors. And now Larry is bribing Jean with Mickey. It all comes to a head as Gene and Lucan come to blows, as Lucan defends a co-worker, but this is quickly forgotten about as the antics of Mickey getting into danger atop the building frame quickly become the focus of attention. As she hangs onto the edge of a work platform, Lucan quickly climbs up a dozen stories of steel scaffolding to rescue her. After all this, the construction crew is disillusioned in Jean as the story wraps up.
forest to civilization. And the journey continues. Lucan was created by Michael Zager, who had previously worked on The Fugitive, I Spy, and created 1969's The Young Lawyers and The Bill Cosby Show. Lucan was played by 23-year-old Kevin Brophy, with John Randolph as Dr. Hoagland. The TV movie pilot aired as an ABC Sunday night movie, May 22, 1977, after The Hardy Boys' Nancy Drew Mysteries. It was followed by a second made-for-TV movie, Good Against Evil, another backdoor pilot for a series that never materialized. This double feature was on against Ben-Hur on CBS, likely its fifth or sixth airing by this time, and a new episode of Columbo on NBC. Lucan was loosely based on Victor of Aveyron, an 18th century French feral boy, possibly the most well-known case of a feral child in history. The story was told in the 1970 Francois Truffaut film The Wild Child, previously mentioned, as well as several books throughout the years. Victor was a boy seen occasionally living in the woods in southern France, and in 1800 was captured by local villagers. He was filthy, naked, covered in scars, and estimated to be 11 or 12 years old. The boy spoke no words and was essentially adopted by medical student Jean Etard, who spent years attempting to teach the boy to speak or communicate. Although Victor made some progress in understanding language and even reading simple words, he never did speak and only learned to spell a couple of words but was able to display empathy and an ability to adopt some civilized behavior. Because of Itard's extensive records, which can still be read, Victor's case became world famous. Victor and the subject of feral children was examined on a 1980 episode of In Search Of. Some modern critics of this account now express doubt that Victor lived for an extended time in the wild and postulate he was possibly autistic and an abused child, perhaps treated like an animal in his early years before being cast away or escaping. The character's name, Lucan, in the plot is ostensibly a phonetic derivative of Dr. Hoagland's use of the phrase, you can, when teaching him. The name, however, in reality is derived from the Greek lycanthropos, translated as wolfman, and this is where the modern term lycanthropy comes from. When we come back, we'll take a look at Lucan's regular series episodes. Lucan will be back in a moment.
What? You're watching television. We're watching Selectivision. The four-hour video cassette recorder from RCA. Selectivision gives us the best of television. We've recorded the best action. The best movies. Even the best educational shows. Sometimes there's nothing good for them on television. <laughs> but there's always something good on Selectivision. Let RCA turn your television into Selectivision. It's the all-new Brady Bunch with guest stars Lee Majors, Farrah Fawcett Majors, Captain Cool and the Kongs, Ann B. Davis, and Rip Taylor. From the producers of Donnie and Marie, it's the Brady Bunch Hour. Sunday at 7 on ABC. Episode 1, Listen to the Heartbeat. Airing Monday, September 12, 1977, four months after the pilot movie. With a young pre-Remington Steel Stephanie Zimbalist in her second TV role, as well as Brian Dennehy. Jogging in a city park, Lucan happens upon a young woman, evidently being the victim of an abduction. Lucan quickly throws the assailant in the pond and takes the young woman to the zoo nursery, where he is working, taking care of the baby animals. The young woman's name is Tashi, and she gives him a letter to deliver to her friend, Elena. It turns out Elena and her husband, Miklos, is in cahoots with the bad guys, including Brian Dennehy, who impersonate police and pick Lucan up for questioning. Lucan promptly escapes their moving car. It turns out Tashi is an international gymnast from Bulgaria, and she has an upcoming competition, and someone is trying to kill her. In the park again, Lucan senses they are being followed by a journalist who is with the bad guys. Tashi asks Lucan to be her bodyguard until the competition and the two share a kiss. Later at practice, Miklos now outright tells Tashi she needs to lose the competition and let Elena win. Later, Tashi and Lucan are kidnapped by Miklos's men. Their physical abilities allow them to escape out a ceiling vent, but Tashi sprains her ankle. She's determined not to lose, and Lucan teaches her to control the pain, which is where we get the title of our episode. Right 
While Tashi performs, Lucan stops a lame last-ditch attempt by Miklos to sabotage it. As everyone boards the plane back to Bulgaria, Lucan says goodbye to Tashi, and we get an Incredible Hulk-style ending as Lucan walks away to his next adventure. Yes, in the first regular series episode, Lucan falls in love, which is really early in a series run to introduce this storyline, but was interesting because of the sheltered backgrounds of both the characters. Instead of Lucan airing the following Monday, viewers looking forward to the next episode were disappointed by ABC airing the San Pedro Beach Bums. Monday, a special double feature. Lucan the Wolf Boy returns to the wilds to find the she-wolf that raised him. You remember? It's me. And discovers a forest of doom. I don't want to have to kill you, son. Then the McKay Hand, starring James Arness and Eva Marie Saint. It's episode two, The Search, with Leslie Nielsen and G.W. Bailey. And Don Gordon makes his series debut. After three months of the San Pedro Beach Bombs, Lucan returns to Monday night on December 26th when the series returned with four new episodes, slightly retooled with an additional story element and a new opening. Minnesota. A group of hunters captured a strange creature. A boy raised by wolves. As a scientist at the university the boy was brought to, I guided him on his immense journey from savagery to civilization. Who was this boy? How was he lost? his parents our mystery still unsolved the day came when the boy had to find the answers for himself his name was Lucan the authorities afraid Lucan might revert to wolf tried to hold him under lock and key but Lucan escaped and the university obtained a court order for his return a bounty hunter was hired to track him down Lucan secretly meets with Dr. Hoagland and says he's going back to the wolf den he was raised in to retrieve a childhood object that may reveal something about his past. Prentice the bounty hunter is introduced and makes an abrupt appearance at the beginning of the episode. Traveling to the northwest, Lucan immediately happens upon locals intent on hunting down that gray wolf. Yes, the same wolf that served as Lucan's mother and gets a job as a dishwasher in a downtown diner from proprietor's Penny, played by Catherine Cannon. While meeting up with the gray wolf in the woods, both the wolf and Lucan are shot at by a poacher. Soon, both Penny and Sheriff Leslie Nielsen figure out who Lucan is, and Lucan has to dodge locals covering up a secret, especially the mayor, who has deadly plans for Lucan, which has tragic consequences for the gray wolf. Anymore. Thank you. 
this episode is somewhat of a stretch of reality since the lifespan of a gray wolf in the wild is five to six years. And although this episode has a tragic ending, it does allow Lucan to have closure and move on to pursuing the story arc of the series, that of Lucan hunting for his parents. But with the introduction of the fugitive element in the form of bounty hunter Prentice, we lose the personal, introspective journey the series could have been, and we are given one bound to be more formulaic and derivative of so many other shows that came before, The Fugitive, The Immortal, Kung Fu, The Incredible Hulk. This story element is called Walking the Earth by the website TV Tropes, and it brings out that it is a very American type of storyline and quite common in older westerns. The character has no home, or they are in a progress of finding one, no job, no money, no identification, no friends, no visible means of support other than short-term itinerant jobs. Yet he is always healthy, well-fed, clean, and welcome wherever he goes. Yes, it is an entertainment trope that has not gone unnoticed by filmmakers. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. So you decided to be a bum. Episode 3, The Lost Boy, aired the following week with Cameron Mitchell. This is one of those lost episodes, extremely hard to find, and I only have an online episode description and a network promo for this one. Monday, Lucan finds a lead to his lost parents, but it may be a trap. Hey, come on out, boy! Uh, you want me to do him like I've done the others? You do him any way you want. We got him. Let's go. <laughs> Lucan. Lucan reads an article in a newspaper about a young man who found his family after being separated from them for years. When Lucan discovers that a crooked lawyer has reunited a lonely couple with an imposter, his life is jeopardized. Episode 4, How Do You Run Forever, aired the following week, in which John Randolph returns as Dr. Hoagland, Don Gordon again appears as Prentice, and Diana Muldaur appears. Prentice the bounty hunter has set a trap for Lucan and actually manages to apprehend him and return him to the university. Prentice shows he is not an evil man, only a man hired to do a job. He expresses concern for Lucan and hopes he is not mistreated by the university. Lucan is subjected to endless tests conducted by antagonistic doctors. Then a middle-aged couple, the Demeries, show up and claim Lucan is their son providing details only the parents should know. Prentice, however, is skeptical of the overwhelming amount of details provided by the couple. Lucan soon takes to the couple, but just as they are all beginning to act like a family, it turns out Mr. Demery has enemies and is himself being pursued. He and his wife flee and leave Lucan to face the criminals after them. Of course, it turns out the couple isn't Lucan's real parents. It was a ruse by Dr. Hoagland to allow Lucan to be released from the university. Prentice discovers this and shows up at Dr. Hoagland's house. Of course, after Lucan has made his getaway. What can I do to help you, Mr. Prentice? Oh, nothing. Just uh, nothing. You know, you're not a policeman. 
You do not have a search warrant? That's right. I don't have a search warrant, but uh, I do have a court order for that boy's arrest. Oh, you didn't know. The university gave me back my job again. You don't look surprised. Well, knowing the ins and outs of administrative thinking, I'm not exactly thunderstruck. The Demerys perpetrated a fraud. You see, Lucan isn't really their son. <laughs> but of course, you knew that all the time, didn't you? Hmm? You really helped him, didn't you? Huh? Are you quite finished, Mr. Prentice? You know, I'm not going to turn you in because you're my Judas goat. Wolf bait. That kid trusts only one person in the whole world. And that person is you. Now, one of these days, he's going to try and make contact with you. And when he does, see you around, Doc. Episode 5, One Punch Wolfson, finishes off the four-week run of new episodes, airing January 16, 1978. Lucan, in Detroit, following up with the lead on his parents in the form of the piece of jewelry he retrieved from the wolf den, finds himself in the middle of the robbery of a jewelry store. Chasing the robbers, a police detective notices how well Lucan handles himself and suggests he take up boxing, which Lucan does in order to retain an expensive private investigator to track down his parents. Lucan makes fast friends with a streetwise black fellow boxer, Spider Caldwell, and Lucan, using the last name Wolfson, earns the moniker of One Punch Wolfson due to the way he blocks and ducks with agility for an extended time before knocking out his opponent with one punch. This catches the attention of both Dr. Hoagland as well as Prentice, who now knows to find Lucan in Detroit. Of course, it turns out some of the fights are rigged, and Dr. Hoagland is disappointed in Lucan for fighting. Refusing to cooperate with the rigged fights, Lucan and Hoagland have to extricate themselves from a sticky situation with Prentice hot on their trail. Five episodes in and we have the boxing episode, a TV trope extremely popular at the time. The Incredible Hulk would do this two months later as their first regular series episode. The Fugitive, Rockford Files, even Little House on the Prairie was not immune from this TV trope. Yes, America was still flying high from the mega-hit Rocky, which had just hit theaters barely a year earlier. The character of the gym manager in this episode even seemed like he was channeling Burgess Meredith. And for this episode, they even got an actor from Rocky. Lucan's friend Spider Caldwell was played by Stan Shaw, who we would go on to see in Roots, The Next Generations, Wise Guy, L.A. Law, North and South Book 3, and still pops up in TV and movies from time to time. After taking two months off, the series returned with Episode 6, You Can't Have My Baby, with stage and film actress Celeste Holm. This is one of the three episodes I was unable to locate, so I only have the online description for it. Lucan's search for his parents entangles him in a confrontation with a wealthy woman and her daughter-in-law over custody of a baby. Monday. Lucan's daring rescue of a young boy puts them both in the news. You're going to be on the news tonight, Channel 3. No. And accidentally exposes a hidden family to the mob killers who hunt them. Do it yourself, Joe. 
in person. If you want to run, then run, but not from the people who can help you. The relentless pursuit of a witness to evil crosses the path of the wolf boy. The police will know you did it. It's going to be an accident. Lucan. Watch Monday at 8, 7 Central and Mounted on ABC. Episode 7, The Pariah. Written by Stephen E. D'Souza, who wrote The Spirit, covered in podcast episode 14. And Brady Bunch alums Robert Reed and Robbie Rist appear. Oddly, this episode has the old, original opening segment, omitting any mention of being pursued by a bounty hunter. A young boy is teased by a group of other boys and walks across a freeway bridge being constructed. He falls and is trapped, hanging in the metal support structure. Lucan happens by and climbs up to rescue the boy, which is filmed by a TV crew. The boy is extremely reluctant to be interviewed for TV, and Lucan takes him home. The father is very standoffish, but grateful, and the boy, David, takes a liking to Lucan. He is invited to stay and help with the family's kennel, but the TV interview brings unwanted attention to the family and Lucan. It turns out the family is in witness protection, and it catches the attention of the mob boss. Yes, it's another often-used TV trope, witness protection. This was interesting to see again. I know it was an episode I watched when it was first on. I specifically remember Lucan jumping the school fence to let Davy in when the bullies closed the gate on him. And it was neat to see Mike Brady and Cousin Oliver reunite four years after the Brady Bunch ended. And with no appearance by Prentice, as well as the old original opening, I'm thinking this episode was filmed early in the series and was originally intended to air back in the fall during that three-month break when we were subjected to the San Pedro beach bombs. If I ever interview Stephen D'Souza, I'll have to ask about that. This was the last new episode for months until we were into the new fall season. After an eight-month break, new episodes finally returned November 13, 1978, with episode 8, Nightmare, with longtime character actor John Larch, and we have another new opening. Hunters found them in the wilds of northern Minnesota, a boy raised from infancy by wolves. They captured him and brought him to the university where I was conducting research on human behavior. Growing into young manhood, he was haunted by the mystery. Who was he? How had he been lost? Who were his parents? Good! See? You can! You can! You can! I named him Lucan. Working at the university one night, he came upon two men stealing drugs. They attacked him. Chemicals exploded. One of the men died. The other escaped. Lucan was unjustly accused and held for the man's death. He fled. A police officer relentlessly follows his trail. But Lucan will never stop trying to find his parents. Or to win his right to be free. Lucan is in the woods, sleeping rough, next to a campfire and does not seem well. He has recurring flashbacks of memories that support the new opening sequence, showing Lucan now a fugitive accused of a crime he did not commit. 
Lucan now has a list of potential people that could prove his innocence in a letter from Dr. Hoagland. Lucan is found passed out on the side of a road and is taken to a hospital, where it turns out, coincidentally, the young doctor treating him is number one on that list, and he may kill to avoid being discovered. It isn't long before Lieutenant Prentice shows up to apprehend Lucan, and in a struggle, Dr. Walker falls off a cliff to his presumed death, and with him, Lucan's chance to clear his name. Yes, the episode where the series goes full fugitive. The clear my name trope is added to the show, complete with Lucan in pursuit of the man who can prove his innocence. Well, at least for one episode. So now we have the show completely retconning the original pilot movie with additional content never seen before and events that supposedly took place. Prentice is now a police lieutenant instead of a bounty hunter. This is something you could get away with in the pre-VCR 70s and when months pass between episodes, but it just wouldn't fly today. And could we get a more generic and copycat accident? Chemicals exploded. One of the men died. It sounds just like the Incredible Hulk pilot movie. This episode even plays out like a reboot or a jumping on point for the series. I'm not sure what to think about this, but it's my bet that the network suggested these changes in an effort to make the show more exciting or appealing to a mass audience, possibly as a condition of bringing the show back in the fall. But this is just speculation on my part. I'll have a couple of additional thoughts about this in the conclusion. Episode 9, Brother Wolf, with guest star James B. Sicking and several character actors that also make an appearance, Hal Smith, Otis from The Andy Griffith Show, Henry Jones, and Elisha Cook Jr. When preparing to rendezvous with Dr. Hoagland at a mountain retreat, a forest fire threatens the area. Lucan rescues a wolf from captivity and has to train it to survive in the wild and how to hunt. Meanwhile, Prentice is close by on his own hunt. Lucan has to dodge the forest fire, police, and nosy busybodies in RVs in this episode. Again, we see Prentice is more than just a one-note character. While he is driven to apprehend Lucan, he is not depicted as being evil. At the end of the episode, he is not in a position to apprehend Lucan, but has a choice between shooting him and letting him go. I'll give you one guess what he chose. Episode 10, The Creature Beyond the Door. Directed by Vic Morrow, prolific TV actor in the 60s and 70s, he had a handful of TV directing efforts. This was four years before he was killed in that infamous helicopter crash along with two other actors on the set of Twilight Zone the movie in 1982. K.C. Martell appeared as young Lucan in flashbacks. K.C. would have a recurring role on Eight is Enough the following year and appear on ABC Weekend and After School Specials. In 1981, he played Butch Patrick as Eddie Munster in the Munster's Revenge reunion TV movie. And he played Elliot's friend Greg in the 1982 film E.T. This is reality, Greg. Meeting up with Dr. Hoagland at a kitty amusement park to follow up on a lead on Lucan's parents, we have another near capture by Prentice as the episode begins. Lucan is intercepted by a stranger and taken to an eccentric millionaire, Amos Colfax, who claims he could be Lucan's father. In reality, this was a kidnapping, and the meetup with Hoagland was completely staged. 
The millionaire wants a drug Dr. Hoagland is working on, an antidote for Colfax's son that is experiencing ongoing aftereffects of taking LSD. But Lucan detects the odor of a plant toxin on him and escapes to find a sample of the plant so he can be properly treated. Of course, he has the Dodge Prentice during all this, and it turns out one of Colfax's employees had been drugging his son, and the effects will wear off after he stops being poisoned. And Lucan has assistance for his inevitable getaway at the end. Episode 12, Thunder God Gold, was the final episode, airing December 4, 1978. Regis Philman appears, as does Gretchen Corbett, who played June on Otherworld, Sadly, the final entry of the series was one of the three that I simply could not locate. Lucan follows a lead to a man who may know his father. He meets two hustlers trying to locate a hidden gold mine. While trekking in the mountains, they nearly get shot down by a tough woman who resides there. She eventually helps Lucan find the man. Lucan's superb tracking skills are put to the test, with Prentice on his trail through the dangerous cliffs. And that was the final episode. After the holiday break of Christmas specials and filler airings of 2020, in January of 1979, viewers would find the Andy Griffith series Salvage One, Phil Lucan's Monday night time slot. Like Spider-Man and other short-lived shows we have and yet will discuss on this podcast, Lucan had a sporadic and irregular broadcast schedule which in the pre-DVR days was extremely damaging to Nielsen ratings and made the show hard to follow. The first regular series episode aired in September of 1977, but as we saw, episodes didn't return until December when four new episodes began airing, then two more in March the following year, and it wasn't until November of 78 when the final four aired. This, combined with the fact that it was scheduled at 7 p.m. Central against topped NBC show Little House on the Prairie, would not have helped the ratings. I was also disappointed at the continual retooling of the premise of the show and subsequent continuity issues. Originally promising an exploration of the human condition and a personal journey of the title character, it was turned more and more into a copycat show derivative of The Fugitive, promising weekly adventures far too similar to the concurrent The Incredible Hulk if the show had continued on. I'm betting this series, like the thematically similar Incredible Hulk and Kung Fu, strongly appealed to certain audiences, such as adult women. I remember my mom really enjoying both shows. Of course, it doesn't hurt that Kevin Brophy was well cast in the role, as he exhibited a rugged, handsome appearance. And this is a great time to mention those yellow glowing eyes. Although it is not established that Lucan has any superhuman abilities, often when he is seen using senses he honed in the wild, the viewer would see his eye color turn yellowish-brown. Since Lucan was a normal human, I would assume this was simply an effect meant for the viewer, not something visible to other characters on the show. This was undoubtedly accomplished with uncomfortable contact lenses of the day. As such, these close-up shots were reused a number of times. After Lucan, Michael Zager never created another series. He wrote a handful of TV movies throughout the 80s and 90s, then completely dropped out of the public eye. Kevin Brophy was 23 and just out of acting school when he landed the role of Lucan for the ABC TV movie, his first acting gig. 
after Lucan, he began appearing as TV guest star on recognizable shows, The Hardy Boys, MASH, The Love Boat, Trapper John M.D., After MASH, Matt Houston, Growing Pains, and a few TV movies. His film roles included 1980's The Long Riders, the 1981 horror film Hell Knight, and the 1982 sci-fi film Time Walker. But acting roles became very sporadic in the late 80s. To make a regular income, he took a job as a doorman at the Bel Air Hotel in Los Angeles, a job he held for 27 years. With only one credit since 1998, Kevin Brophy seems to have retired from acting. But in 2012, something interesting happened. Kevin got a strange phone call from an Illinois attorney. A man named Ray Folk from Lincoln, Illinois, left his entire estate, estimated at $1.3 million, to Kevin, as well as actor Peter Barton, even though he did not personally know nor had never met them. The eccentric man had no family and was evidently a huge fan of the Lucan series. A scrapbook Mr. Folk made full of newspapers and magazine clippings was found, as well as a 1970s wall poster of Kevin Brophy as Lucan. Folk's connection to Peter Barton was not as evident. Beyond working once with Kevin Brophy in that 1981 Hell Night and that dark, feathered 70s hair. Ray Folk's 160 acres was split up and sold to four buyers for over $1 million, with the after-probate net being split between the two actors, leaving Kevin Brophy, now 64 and quietly living in greater Los Angeles in the same house he bought in 1980, a comfortable nest egg for his retirement. Lucan has occasionally been seen in TV syndication through the years, and oddly, sometimes the one-hour episodes were cut down to 30 minutes, stretching 11 episodes into 22. No official home video release on any format was ever made of Lucan, and episodes are not easily found. When I originally added this show to the podcast list last May, there were a number of episodes on YouTube, which have now since been deleted. Currently, only the pilot movie and first two episodes can be found on YouTube. Although it was evidently available just a few years ago on the Warner Archive streaming service, it is not currently available there or on any streaming service. The original air dates of 1977 to 78 add to the obscurity of the series. The VHS VCR was just hitting store shelves when Lucan debuted at the selling price of $1,000, equivalent to over $4,000 today. Beta had been around a couple of years, but was even more expensive. Thus, I know of no original home recordings of Lucan. Hardcore collectors over the years did, however, manage to locate 16mm film prints distributed to TV stations, and the DVD copy I ended up getting was a digital capture of these aged films complete with film leader countdown and insert commercial here frames. Repeated inquiries to the Warner Archive as to the status of Lucan have gone unanswered. But with the increasing popularity of nostalgia broadcast TV networks, as well as niche print-on-demand DVD, as well as new streaming services, perhaps one day soon, we will see Lucan surface to prowl on our TV screens again. Next time on Forgotten TV. Long ago, in a remote corner of the world, 
ancient astronauts landed from a distant planet with a gift for mankind, the Phoenix. For a thousand years he has waited, suspended in time. Now he's coming to Forgotten TV, 1982's The Phoenix. That's next time on Forgotten TV. Forgotten TV is not affiliated with MGM Television, ABC, or any network or production company involved in the making of any show mentioned in this episode. All mentioned series and associated characters are the property of the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Audio clips are included for the purposes of review, commentary, and criticism only, and are not intended to infringe. And I'd like to thank the following YouTube channels for making audio clips in this episode possible. Antonio Kilash, Christian Arthur, A Room with a Past, Robert C. 2009, Mr. GOSB 123, Vintage Television, Birmingham Rewound, as well as Lucan, the series fan website, and the Made for TV Mayhem blog. Additional music provided by Kevin McLeod under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 Unported License. If you'd like an easy way to support Forgotten TV, click through to Amazon and do your regular shopping. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it's a great way to support the show. Forgotten TV is a member of the Frequent Wire Podcast Network. Be sure and like the Forgotten TV Facebook page and follow Forgotten TV on Twitter. All those links are found at Forgotten.tv. I'm Chris Cooling, and this has been Forgotten TV.